Good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful sunny day. It really is. We're so grateful. This is our Father's world. How grateful we are, our Lord. The Lord has made life possible. God was un, under no uh, rule. God was under no uh, compulsion to create man in the first place. God is totally self-sufficient in and of himself. But God's love drove him to create us, create this world for us. It's great to think about the Lord being on his throne, giving us this opportunity of life, an opportunity of eternal life with him in the next world. We're grateful to give him the honor and praise together this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 31. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 to 31. This is one of the occasions where Jesus heals two blind men. Two blind men. Together this morning, I want us to emphasize three great qualities of these two blind men. Three great qualities of these two blind men. Before we get there, let's notice a few details. First, of course, their condition is that they're blind. They're blind. Now, this was very common in Jesus' day. Of all the healings that Jesus did, and he did a lot of healing, the healing of blindness was uh, the one he did the most. Right here in Matthew, you can kind of see it. Uh, In Matthew um, 12 and verse uh, 22, you'll see Jesus heals a man who is blind. He cannot speak, he cannot see. Uh, because of a demon possession, but Jesus comes along, casts out the demon, so that the man can both speak and see. Matthew uh, 12 and verse 22. Also notice in Matthew chapter uh, 15 and verse 30, great crowds uh, came to Jesus. Matthew 15 verse uh, 30, bringing uh, with them the lame, the blind. The lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed uh, them. Notice uh, Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 30 says something uh, very similar. It says uh, that Jesus healed um, men who were blind there. And in Matthew chapter 21 in verse 14, Jesus in the temple, and even in the temple there at the last part of Jesus' life, he healed those who were blind. This was a very common affliction in this day. And Jesus uh, came on the scene and he was able to heal those who were blind. What a great way of showing. This, this pointed out, of course, and we've gone over this many times, but first it points out that Jesus is the Son of God. But it also points out that Jesus is the Savior of the world. All these afflictions, whether it be... Uh, being crippled, or whether it is uh, the inability to speak, or a fever, or um, blindness, any sickness, any affliction that's on the earth is because of sin. And Jesus coming on the scene showing that he can deal with the results of sin automatically shows that he is the one to come to for forgiveness of sin as well. In Mark chapter 2, for instance, in verse 10 and 11, Jesus heals a man who, who was, had to be brought in on a stretcher. 
And uh, he said to the people around him, he said, which is, which is it easier for me to say, uh, for this man to get up and walk, or for your sins to be forgiven? And then he said this, he said, so that all on the earth may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say unto you, to the man who was crippled, uh, stand up and walk. And immediately he stood up and he walked. Jesus showing us there that he was doing these miracles to show that he had the authority, that he is the Savior, he has the authority to forgive uh, sins. And so Jesus has come to deal with the results of sin uh, so that he can show us that he is indeed the Savior of the world. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. And he has come to deal with Satan. And that's what he's showing us here um, in these healings. Notice that eventually, you notice in this little paragraph, Jesus will heal the man by touching him. By touching him. This is a strong characteristic of Jesus. He was constantly around people. He had little children come up into his lap and he would bless them. He was constantly eating with his disciples. But also, he would touch those. He, he would touch a leper and cleanse the lepers. And he touched this, these men and he healed them. He would touch the untouchable. Think about a blind man. A blind man cannot see the expression on your face. Oftentimes, we use our expression uh, to show our, our sympathy, our love, our, our comfort, uh, our encouragement. But a blind man could not see the affection on your face. And so he would need to not only hear your words of encouragement, but also feel your touch as well. And Jesus touched uh, them. Now, let's get to the three qualities of these blind men that can really help us as we live uh, for Christ. First one is, they followed him. Notice this in your Bible. They followed him. Looking down to Matthew 9... 27 to 31. They followed him. That's a tremendous characteristic. Jesus is on his way to somewhere else. They, he, these men have encountered him on a pathway and he's going to a certain house and they follow him to into the house. They followed him. Think about it again. They're blind. And so they had a ter- determination to keep up. Others were following Jesus as well. But these blind men somehow... They made their way being blind. And they were able to keep up and get to Jesus uh, in the house. uh, And so they followed him. I think this shows that they were true disciples. uh, That they had a great determination of heart to stay close to Jesus and to have him, if possible, if he would, to bless them uh, in their lives. They followed him. Of course, this uh, this is huge when it comes to our following following Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and, and follow follow me. And Jesus often talked about the nature of true discipleship, following him. Now notice in your Bibles, if you just look back a little bit, in Matthew 8, about verse 19, that a certain scribe came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Another one comes to him and says, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go bury my father. Now, most who read this simply say, well, the the father here has not yet 
passed away. It's just that the son is waiting around and he's going to stay close to his father until that part of life happens. And then he says, after that part of life happens, Lord, then I'll come and follow you. And of course, Jesus came back to him and said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. You go preach uh, the kingdom. Jesus could be a little direct, couldn't he? Uh, He could be very direct. Uh, There's an expansion of this occasion over in Luke 9, 57 through 62, where another man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go first bid farewell to those of my household. And that's when Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's fit for the kingdom of God. What if, a, what if a speaker walks into our place and looks out on the audience and says, you're not fit to be here. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus was very pointed when it comes to people following him. He wanted people to understand what true discipleship really is, which is really learning about the Lord and following him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love the song, uh, Footprints of Jesus. Footprints of Jesus make the pathway glow. And I will follow him wherever he goes. But when we sing that song, we've got to make sure that we understand how direct Jesus really is when it comes to following him. Of course, the Bible teaches us to follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2.21 says that, Peter says, Jesus has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. And John says in 1 John 2 and verse 6 that we ought to walk as he walks. The footprints of Jesus really ought to lead our lives. And I must ask myself, am I willing to follow in the steps of Jesus? If I do follow in the steps of Jesus, where would that take me? Where would that take me? If I do actually live out the words of the song, footprints of Jesus that make my pathway glow, I will follow the steps of Jesus. I will walk in the steps of Jesus wherever they may go. Where will that take me? Where will that take me? My heart is really beating fast (laughs) here. I didn't think I was that nervous this morning. Way. We'll continue. So this is really important. Okay. Now, what I'm about to say here will make a very good post somewhere. It'll make a very good bulletin board. Okay. Think about if you follow Jesus, where does this take us? Okay. Well, Jesus went through the waters of baptism not for the same reason as us. Jesus was doing it to show all righteousness, to fulfill all righteousness. We are baptized for remission of sins, but still, Jesus went through the waters of baptism. Secondly, Jesus went through the wilderness of temptation. We follow him through that. Jesus went into the fields of service. That's what he's doing here in his healing powers. He's serving other people. So Jesus went into the fields of service. Jesus went into the cities teaching the word, teaching people about God. Jesus went into the houses of worship. You often go into the synagogues to worship. We see him doing that in Luke 4, 16. 
Jesus went into the garden of prayer. We remember him being there. Jesus would go into the path of suffering in our behalf. Jesus went through the valley of death for us. Jesus encountered the glories of the resurrection and Jesus went into the gates of heaven. This is where, this is where, if we follow Jesus, this is where we will go. We will go through the waters of baptism. We'll go through the wilderness of temptation. We'll go into the fields of service. We will go into the city's teaching. We'll go into the houses of worship. We'll go into the garden of prayer. We will go into the pathway of suffering when it calls upon us to suffer. When he calls upon us to suffer. We will go into the valley of death with Jesus. We will also one day experience the glory of the resurrected body. And then after that, we will go into the gates of heaven. You see, they followed him. And what that meant was, Lord, wherever you go, I will be willing to go. They followed him. The second quality of these blind men is, and you see it right here in your Bibles, Matthew 9, 27 to 31. They cried out to him. They cried out to him. First, I want us to notice that it's a loud cry. It's a loud cry. And you just have to understand the, the original language here on this. But it, it was a loud cry. The same word for this is used in Mark 5, verse 5, where this demon-possessed man who lived in the cemeteries and who sometimes would go up to the mountains and he would just yell out and people would hear him and be afraid. That's the same word used here. They're, it's a loud cry. In Matthew 21, Jesus is in a temple, and you remember the children are praising him. Okay, that's the same, the children praising him is the same word used here. It was a loud cry, a loud cry. Mark 15, 37, when Jesus gave up his spirit to die for us, just before he did that, there was a loud cry from him. Mark 15, 37. This is the same word used here by these two blind men. It was a loud cry. They didn't care who hurt them. They were unashamed. They were unashamed as they cried out unto the Lord. We were talking a little bit ago in our, in our class together in the back with our, with our young men about worship and, and how that oftentimes we hold ourselves back in worship. We're, we're timid. Uh, we, we put up a guard. You know, we, we don't fully express ourselves. Why is that? Why is it we can't, we can't just come out of ourselves? There's so... There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to express to God. And he's given us the proper avenues to do that through, through prayer and, and study and, and singing and, and giving. Why can't we express ourselves? These men did not hold anything back. They, had, they, they cried with a loud cry. They were unashamed. Unashamed. And sometimes we're, we're ashamed to carry our Bibles with us. We're ashamed to, to tell people, you know, that, hey, I... Sorry, but this is our Bible class time. This is ladies' class time. This is men's class time. This is, this is our regular church assembly time. You know, we're, we're timid to tell someone, this is, this is my spiritual time, and if you want to go with me, fine, but this is that time. You know, this, this is who I am. And these men were very, very determined to cry out to the Lord. It was a, it was a loud cry. But also it was a persistent cry, because they're following Jesus, and as they're following him, they're crying out to him. And they do that right into this house that Jesus goes. And this 
it's in the house where Jesus uh, heals them. But it was a persistent uh, cry. In fact, the whole chapter of Matthew 9 is, you could call it, you could call it a persistent chapter. Um, you go back to the first part of the chapter, and we, we mentioned this sort of a minute ago, but these men come in bringing this, these four men come in bringing this lame man, crippled man on a stretcher, and they bring him before Jesus for him uh, to heal him. Uh, Mark chapter 2 expands this account. And you, this is the time when they actually have to go up on top of the roof and break down through the roof to get the man to Jesus so he could heal him. And Jesus could also give his important teaching about him having the authority to forgive sins. This is a very persistent chapter. And, and in the middle of Matthew 9, Jesus is on his way to, to Jairus' house. And, and this woman comes through the crowd who has an issue of blood and she said to herself if I can just touch the hem of his garment perhaps something will happen to me and she makes her way determined through the crowd and she touches the hem of his garment and he looked to her and she, he said woman your faith has made you whole and so now, now you have these blind men who are persistently following Jesus and, and crying out uh, to him it's, it's a persistent cry we need to, of course, recall this and, and remember this as we pray. As we pray. Why would we pray and then pray only one time? How persistent are our prayers? I know God hears our one prayer and never forgets it, but that's not the ideal. The ideal is our faith and our calling out to Him. He wants us to be persistent. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 7 and verse uh, 7. He says, uh, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. And all those verbs there are, are continuous action verbs. That is, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And then that's when the Lord responds uh, to us. Okay. We must be persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. Paul says in Colossians 4, 2 through 4, uh, to continue in prayer. We must pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians we, as these men were, had a cry that was persistent, so our cry to God in prayer uh, cannot stop. It just, it just cannot stop. What about our service to God? How persistent is that? You know, I know you've been there. You've gone door knocking. You know, door knocking is not done because it's the most effective means, but there are some people that can be reached through door knocking. So no soul left behind. Every soul is important. What if there is someone out there who would not listen to anything except they might talk to the person at their door? We, we've gone door knocking. And has it ever been in your heart? You're talking about just expressing yourself and coming, letting your guard down. Has it ever been in your heart? Have you ever thought, maybe they're not here? You know, I'm coming to this door. Maybe they won't answer. Maybe they won't answer. Or if a, if a large dog comes to the door and lets himself be known, do you really, do you really start thinking then, I hope they don't answer? You know? But, you know, there's this, um, there's the weakness of the human heart that wants, to, um, that wants to make a list, check it off, and not be very persistent at it. And so this was a persistent cry. But also... I want us to see about their cry here. It was a very informed, in, information, 
it was a very informed cry because they, they cry out to Jesus and they say, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. So they knew about Christ. They knew about the Messiah. The Messiah was to come through the lineage of David. They studied up on this. And they knew that Jesus was uh, this one. This is one of the most popular sayings in the whole book of Matthew. You start Matthew 1 and you can find this phrase used of Jesus many, many times. He's the son of David. They knew him as, as the promised one of the Old Testament. Also, when you think about that, one of the major ideals of the Messiah coming was that he would be able to heal the blind. There are a couple of uh, Old Testament passages like Isaiah 29, 18 and 19 speaks of Jesus healing the blind or speaking of the Messiah who would come which would be Jesus healing the blind. Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Okay. In fact, when Jesus opened up the scroll there in Luke 4, in his own hometown of Nazareth, in the synagogue, he read from Isaiah 61 about the Messiah coming. He would be able to do all this healing and bringing um, sight to the blind. And then he said, uh, this scripture has been fulfilled uh, in your ears on this very day. Okay. So, think about these blind men. They knew one thing, that he would be the son of David. But another thing was that here would be a person who would be able to heal the blind. How could you miss this? Think about it. Very few occasions of healing the blind in the Old Testament. Very few occasions, if any, of healing the blind after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You look into the book of Acts, the apostles had abilities to do miraculous things, but you don't see much about blindness being healed. Okay. It was a particular trait of the coming Messiah, and Jesus was out healing the blind. He's the son of David, and these blind men recognized him. He was, it was an informed uh, cry. And then, about their cry to, to the Lord here, it was a desperate cry. So it was a loud cry, persistent, very informed, they knew the scriptures, but it was also desperate. You see, they said, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And we, we can understand their sentiment here. Have mercy on us. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. But grace and love is getting something we need instead of what we deserve. And that's what these men are really looking for. They're not coming to Jesus thinking they deserve to be healed. But in desper desperation and in dependence upon him, they understand that the Lord might just be gracious to them on this occasion, which He was. And spiritually speaking, it's the same thing with us in our sins. The Lord coming to die for our sins and being raised on that third day. We don't get justice because if we get justice, then we would get banishment. We would get death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. We don't get that because of Jesus 
But we do get mercy and we especially get grace and love because we get what we need. We need forgiveness through Jesus. We get that instead of what we deserve. Grace is getting what you need, not what you deserve. deserve. And so notice these men, their cry. So they followed, they cried out to the Lord, and finally they believed. They believed. Now, look right here with me in Matthew 9. This is one of the most, I guess, close to it, the most beautiful exchange in all of Scripture. Matthew 9, look what Jesus says in verse 28. He looked at these men. He said, do you believe that I am able to do this? What a question. What a question. Let that question just come down through the ages, history, and come right down into our laps. Do you believe the Lord is able to do this? Do you believe, in other words, that the Lord is able to do what He has promised that He will do? And what is their response? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I know there's more to faith than what we can say in five minutes. But you have to also say that when you get right down to the core of faith, it, isn't, it, isn't it saying yes, Lord? Isn't it, isn't it saying yes to the Lord? There's at least four times in the New Testament where people said yes to the Lord. Let's notice those really fast. Look at, look at Matthew 15 and... The, the woman who comes on behalf of her daughter, her daughter is grievously vexed with the demon. She comes to Jesus. Jesus says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread, Matthew fifteen twenty six, and throw it to the dogs. In other words, Jesus said, I have only come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's testing the lady. And then he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And notice what she said. She said, yes, Lord, verse 27. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. Yes, Lord. Another occasion is John chapter 11 and verse 27. Jesus coming to the death of Lazarus and speaking with Lazarus' sister Martha. John 11, Jesus said to Martha, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John eleven twenty five. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he said to Martha, Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Yes, Lord. That's the, that gets right down to the nitty-gritty of what faith is. And in John 21, Jesus and Peter, 
verses 15 and 16. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said at least twice, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Am I willing to say what these have said? Am I willing to say that to the Lord? Yes, Lord. I believe. Yes. Is there a settled conviction down deep in my soul? Yes, Lord. Got to be careful, though. This is the Lord listening. The Lord knows. He knows our convictions. He knows our hearts. He knows our souls. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Careful now. Will you say yes, Lord? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Son of God? Will you, are you willing to say yes, Lord? Now right here, Jesus said to these blind men, According to your faith, so be it done to you. According to your faith. Don't we see that faith opens the doors to blessings from God? Why do we hold back in our faith? Why would we come to life? Why would we live life with a little faith? Why would we come to God with a little faith? It's almost as if we just want the door cracked open. Instead of flinging it open. We just want, for some reason, why don't we just want a crack? Just a door cracked open. Well, if we have little faith, we just want the door barely open. But when we have the faith of these men, then we're telling the Lord, Lord, I want your blessings. I want the door of blessings to come into my life. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe the Lord will forgive your sins? Do you believe the Lord will take care of you if you follow Him? Do you believe the Lord will take you from this life to the next? Do you believe the Lord will provide for your needs as you follow Him? Do you believe, Jesus says, that I am able to do this? These men, they followed Jesus, they cried out to Him, they believed in Him. We can take these same qualities, serve God, and be a great influence for Him right now. Right now. In many respects, it starts right now. Because worship is a time of reflection. How will I leave today? Will I leave with a settled conviction, closer to God than I ever have been? Or will I go back to my old ways of doubt and despair. In many respects, my faith starts right now. It might be that someone is here and been thinking about these things about forgiveness. It's, it's in the human mind and our conscience that we need someone. We need, we, there's a void within us. There's, there's a hole in our hearts. And we go here and there to try to fill that void, to fill that hole. But only God and His mercy, God and the blood of Jesus can, can cleanse us and can bring what we need uh, for our lives. So we invite you today 
as we sing this song here in just a moment, as we invite you uh, to come and take, take these blessings of God. Come on your faith. According to your faith, let it be. Jesus said before he left this earth, he who believes in faith and is baptized shall be saved. We invite you to come home to the Lord even right now as we stand together and as we sing. Brother Paul.